Okay, so now here we are, Daf Beis Amabes, and we are about to explore the way many, many Gemaras begin an exploration of a topic, which is by quoting relevant brises on that same topic. I've mentioned frequently that we have a Mishnah, but the Mishnah is material that was chosen by Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi, which opinions of which Tanayim to include in the Mishnah. And he purposely left a lot on the cutting room floor. And when the Gemara wants to explore the Mishnah, it will quote what was left on the cutting room floor. So by quoting Brisa's, Brisa, the word Brisa is Aramaic for chitzoni, meaning bar in Aramaic means chutz in, uh, in Hebrew. So it means the outside material. Now, what's important is that when we say outside, it doesn't mean rejected from being the halacha necessarily, but meaning it was put on the outside by Rebbe. So that's why nowadays, when you get a DVD, they will frequently show you deleted scenes, you know, and uh, so that that's what, but the deleted scenes are good. They just, it was, the movie was getting too long. So, so they took the scenes out. So here we are. And we are about 10 lines from the top of the page on Beis HaMed Beis. Right? The first is a quote by the Mishnah. From the time that the Kohanim enter to eat their truma. Uriminhu, we are now going to challenge this with the following text. And this is the Brisa. From when do we read the Shema at night? From the time that the poor man comes in to eat his bread with salt, until the time that he stands up to, to leave his meal, meaning until the conclusion of the meal. So this is new. The Mishnah made no reference to such a timeline. So the Gemara wants to explore that by saying, Seifa vadai pliga masnisen, meaning, if you're quoting this Brisa as challenging our Mishnah, then let's be clear over here. The challenge clearly applies to the end time because the end time is when he gets up from dinner. So that we'll agree on. However, the Gemara wants to say, Reisha mi lema pligi, amas nisan. Do we have to say that the first part, the first clause of this brisa, is arguing with our Mishnah? Remember what I said last time, if you were here, which is that the general trend of a Gemara, after it suggests that there's an argument, is to suggest or try to suggest that there is no argument. We would like to, people to be in agreement as much as possible. Granted, we know that there is machlokas. That's a common feature of Tershabal Pen nowadays. However, if you can arrange it in your understanding that the machlokas is as minimal as possible, that is better. I remember once, just to share a story, first time I learned Masechta Kiddushin. So Masechta Kiddushin has a disagreement between Beshil and Beshamai right away on the first page. How much is the minimum 
that a man has to give a woman in order to marry her? Is it a pruta or is it a dinar? Okay. Now, there's a big difference in amount between a pruta and a dinar, much more than the difference between a cent and a dollar. But still, it's a machlokas. So I remember my Rebbe at the time wanting to point out as we were learning about this disagreement between these two famous schools, Beisel and Beishamai, by pointing out how much these two had to be in agreement before getting to their actual disagreement. Meaning people will often say, you know, well, I've even heard, uh, sometimes I'll even say, it. people in learning, they say, boy, Beisel and Shamai are sure, like they're always arguing, right? That's like the classical argument between these two schools of thought that happens several dozens and dozens of times throughout Shas, probably in the hundreds, look how often they're always at each other's throats. They're always arguing. So you can always do is point out how much they actually have to agree with each other before they actually reach that tip of the iceberg where they are, they're disagreeing with each other. So two, in this limited case over here, this is what the Gemara wants to point out. Look, you're telling me you found a Brisa and you're saying it's arguing with our Mishnah? Let's be honest over here. We can see how the ending disagrees because at the earliest time to end Shema, the nighttime Shema in our Mishnah, was one-third of the night, the first watch. That's already a few hours into the night. You got four, uh, three or four hours into the night. Here, the guy finished his dinner. So what is that, half an hour, you know, something like that? That's a much more limited time to worry about Shema. So that's what the Gemara wants to suggest right now. <clears throat> that the opening, perhaps the opening does not disagree. And as the Gemara says, Lo, Ani v'kohen chad shiurahu. Are they arguing? No. Let's suggest right now, they're not arguing. Meaning, just to make it clear, if you're reading this Brisa, you can conclude where we are right now that this Brisa is has two parts. What's the earliest time to say Shema and the latest time to say Shema? The latest time to say Shema is different. According to our Mishnah, it's either the end of the first watch or midnight or dawn. According to our Brisa, it's half past seven. <laughs> you know, like it's it's much earlier. But the beginning. They're not arguing. They're simply using different societal examples. But because maybe each one's talking to his own audience, right? One group is talking about to people who have a lot of kohanim in their neighborhood or in their shul, where there's a lot of truma going on. And the other one might be talking to, uh, you know, Anche or Raman, you know, like uh, the poor man's shul. So, you know, where they know there are a lot of poor people. So they're simply using good examples that would, you know, meet the example needs of, uh, of their audience. Okay. I mentioned last week, and I'll say it again, that there is something to be said for who you're looking at, you know, in your Yiddishkeit. And one person says he wants to be holier, kadoshim to you. And he wants, uh, so he's going to pay attention to what the Kohanim are doing. Look at the Kohanim to set an example for his life. And that's a wonderful thing. 
right? You had Parshas Kedoshim, and then right after you have Parshas Amor, which talks all about the Kohanim. That's wonderful. The other one says, you know how I want to be holy? I want to make sure someone walks in. Is he poor? Does he need to be taken care of? Does he need a donation? Does he need meaning? So you're taking a look at poor people to see what their needs are. That's also a form of Kedusha. That's also a way of uh, doing a mitzvah. You're not looking at the poor person to set an example, but you're looking how to improve his life. But uh, as you're looking, you're noticing what his uh, patterns are. So now let's go on. <clears throat> Remember where we're up to. Yes, the Gemara is saying that the way to evaluate what time to start saying Shema is either is by looking at the Kohen or in another text by looking at the poor man. Let's say that they're exactly the same thing. The Gemara says, nope, Raminhu, again that word, meaning I'll challenge that. How do you challenge that? Well, look at this text. This text is from also a Brisa, but here I'll just a little bit of a lesson. If you don't mind, I'll take a minute to talk about it. According to the side margin note in the Gemara that I have and many Gemaras have, this is not just a Brisa, but was known as a Tosefta. What is the difference between a Brisa and a Tosefta? It's like this. A Brisa, just to use, is what was left on the cutting room floor. The Tosefta are some of the materials that were left on the cutting room floor. Rebbe's student came, swept it all up, and put it in a book. Meaning, they are Brisas that were collected and formalized you know, he did all of us a favor. Some say, I think it's uh, Ravi Osh Hoshia is the one who was one of the Tamidim of Rebbe. And he did the world a favor. So he collected the Brisas and he put them in the basic order of the Mishnayas as we have them. And that work is called the Tosefta. When the Gemara came out a few hundred years later, the Tosefta lost some of its popularity. Because, as in this example right now, the Gemara quoted the Toseftas that it found interesting. So the Tosefta as a separate work to expand on the Mishnah lost some of its currency, meaning people weren't looking up and reading the Tosefta as often. However, I have heard some people claim, using this language, that the Tosefta was the first work to do what later the Gemara would do. There's a one big difference. Toseftas are not arguing the merits of things the same way a Gemara does. It's just the text. Like many Bryces put right one next to another. You can find a Tosefta in the back of most of the current editions of Gemara. Our scroll doesn't include it, Sincino doesn't include it. But I'm saying the Hebrew only versions that you get when you buy a Shas, Right here in the very back of Masechta Brachos, you have Tosefta, Masechta Brachos. And it's like Mishnayis, like I said, Brisas, but much wordier. And since there are more words, if, you ever have, if you're ever stuck trying to figure out what a mission is trying to say, then going to the Tosefta, Tosefta means addition, by the way, like Musaf, right? Or to be Mosif, like Tosfos, who we're talking about, but on their own level, the Tosefta is adding information. So the Tosefta is found in the back. 
because the Tosefta was learned much more or much less frequently as the centuries went on, the Tosefta ended up having numerous, by which I mean hundreds of editorial errors that crept into the text, meaning printers errors and such, publishing errors. So every edition of the Tosefta will have numerous notes correcting the, you know, the text, which can sometimes be, be a hassle. In fact, this led the Chazon Ish, who was like died in 1953, to make a comment, yeah, learning Tosefta is a waste of time if you want to arrive at a correct conclusion, because there have been so many printer's errors that it, you can, if you find it fun to learn, go ahead. But if you want to actually arrive at a maskana, at a conclusion, it's too much of a headache. If it's like this, I mean, what's the, what's the whole thing? Hey, it's just, it's, um, <clears throat> so it's writers. Which are then collected and expanded upon, or what Tosefta? Yeah, Tosefta are brises that were collected and put into one work. Again, it was the editorial choice of Rabbi Hoshia or Hoshaya. I mean, he made a decision. Rabbi Hoshia was a Talmud of Rebbe. So he was helping himself and his colleagues and his students by giving a little bit of expanded language on what the Mishnahis are saying. So you'd get a bigger flavor for what the Mishnah meant and what the other opinions were. Okay, so now we're about to encounter our first official Tosefta over here. So again, Rumin Hu. Okay, now just notice the flavor here. He adds a word. From when do we begin to say Shema at night? Now you could argue, what's the difference? He's just saying it's, it's a word choice. Rebbe was able to eliminate the word start because it's clear enough. You look at the mission and the mission says, Memesai Kornishma Ba'arvin. Memesai already means from when. So do you really have to say from when do we start? Meaning, I understand it's the beginning, but you know what? You add a little word and you just make it 100% clear for everyone. From when do we begin to say Shema at night? Says the Tosefta, Adam Here, this is a newly phrased expression. We're no longer picking on people, but we're picking on time we're picking on day of the week from the time that B'nai Adam, you can't get more generic than that. People, <laughs> from the time that men, people are coming in to eat their bread on Arab Shabbos. So we're not picking on the Kohen. We're not picking on a poor person. We're talking about your average Joe. When he comes to eat, but on Arab Shabbos, what does he mean by Arab Shabbos? Friday evening. So Friday evening. <clears throat> so I'll just give you a moment to consider that. Who's Friday evening? Meaning early Shabbos or late Shabbos? 
Right? How many times are there? Look at the shuls and when they finish. Last Shabbos, I don't know why, and Dina always asks, you know, she notices when I come in and she's like, you're five minutes earlier than you were last week or five minutes later. And, and, and I usually tell her, I said, I have no idea. I just walk home and that's when I'm home. Like, but she'll notice if it's an hour 15 past or an hour 24. You know, like she, she picks up on this. I just come in the house. I don't know. Was the chazan a little quicker or a little slower? It's never that much of a difference. But you, maybe you're talking to someone on the way back from shul and you, you stayed at the corner before you fork, you know, you, you walk. All the little things that happen. Is Are you taking in Shabbos early like we do or are you taking in Shabbos early like the other shul that has a different schedule for when they, they come in early? You see how many options there are. <clears throat> the, I, the concept of taking in early Shabbos is from the Gemara. Now, how to do it, that's the sub, a subject of, of debate. But it already it, it's clearly existed. I do know someone who objects on some sort of philosophical grounds to start Shabbos early, but there's no meaning. It's based in the Gemara. Okay, there are people who prefer to take in Shabbos <laughs> late or on time as we call it for other halachic considerations so there's a lot that goes into it why a person would choose to take in uh why why a person would choose to take in shabbos early or why he would choose to take in shabbos on time what early means all the different opinions okay so let's just assume for now there's some time we're going to see what rashi says about that because we need some sort of indication of what this means the Gemara itself at the bottom of the page is going to try to line up all of these opinions. So from earliest to latest. Right now, we are not told what the earliest to latest is. All we have right now is we have a third way of expressing the idea of when to start to say Shema. Our Kohen example, our Ani, our poor man example. The Gemara up until now said maybe the Kohen and the Ani are the same time, but Still, two ways of phrasing it at the very least. And now we have our people example, right? B'nai Adam. That's Rabbi Mayer. Yes. Right. So that's what we're going to have to figure out. What does this mean in relation to sunset? It's not clear to me at this point, meaning just based on the words of the Gemara or this, this Josefta, it's not clear what time this is. Meaning, or is this earlier? Is this later? Meaning, uh, I know this is a silly question, but I just want to express it. How far do you live from Shul? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so last week I was saying, when I came home, I think we finished a few minutes earlier than we usually do. And I happened to, as I was walking home, other shuls were 
coming out right then. So I met far more people than I did on a regular Friday night. It was mazel. You know, I had nothing to do with anything. It just, that's how it works. I got home a little earlier. <clears throat> so now that's, but we're talking about Erev Shabbos. And so we were left to theorize or to see what the Rishonim say as far as when that is. But that's not all. That's only Rebbe Mayer. Which is interesting because until now we haven't heard names. The Mishnah doesn't mention a name, right? That opening line of uh, Kohanim. The poor man Brisa that we saw does not mention a name. Here, Rebbe Mayer is the first new name. And that's not, it's not going to stop there. Next, Vachachonim Omrim. The rabbis say, Mishosha Kohanim Zakoin Le'echol Bitrumasan. This is the brisa that was referred to at the top of the page. From the time that the Kohanim are Zakoyin. Zakoyin is quite the language over here. Zakoyin means from the time they are deserving or that they have the right to say, to eat their truma. And the sign for this is when the stars come out. I'll say right now, I think this implies that when they eat their bread on Erev Shabbos, sounds like it's before them. But we'll see. Okay, so <clears throat> we have learned so far two opinions. Now, the, the, what the Gemara is going to do right now, it's a little funny that it's doing this. We're going to have a little bit of a break over here. But before that, we have, we are now told, well, we're, we're going to call them three people. The Kohen, the poor man, and the man. <laughs> I have no other way of describing him right now. The Gemara is going to try to juggle and figure out how do these three men and their mealtime, mealtimes, relate to each other? Are these three totally separate times? Or are they two times? Is just because these are different texts, each one is different. Here's the, your problem. This Brisa, just the Brisa, this Tosefta rather, this Tosefta is saying there's a machlokes between Rebbe Meir and the Chachamin. The machlokes is, be, so this one says, it's when people eat. This one says, no, it's when the Kohen eats. How does the poor man fit between these two opinions? Those two opinions clearly do not agree with each other because they're in the same text that's putting them at odds with each other. Reb Meir says this, the Chachamim say that. So we know Kohen and regular person are not the same. Whose side is the Ani on in this? Right now, the Gemara wants to suggest, and the Gemara is going to fall away from this, wants to suggest the poor man has a choice. Who do you side with? <laughs> Meaning, do you side with the Kohen or do you side with the regular guy? That's the approach right now. But before we get to that, and I'll tell you right now, I'll have to give it away, we're not getting to that today at all. Because the Gemara wants to uh, spend some time with this assumption that Tzeis the stars coming out, is what matters. 
So here, this is just a little bit of a, uh, a not, we're going to read a little bit of a story over here. The story itself is interesting and actually, I think, is a, offers some insight into what goes on in Israel today. Let's just take a look at this. He says, even though I have no proof to the matter, I, this, I can allude to it. There's a hint to it. They might say, what hint? What are you talking about? Well, let's see what the words say, and then we'll see what they're talking about. Shenemer, as it says, Vanachnu osim b'pimelacha, v'chetzio machzikim b'remachim, me'alos ha'shachar atzeis ha'kochavim. We're about to learn a little bit of a speech here. Here's the speech. A little bit of ancient history. This, if you have in your sidebar, you see it's from Sefer Nechemia. Sefer Nehemiah is one of the last written works that are in Tanakh. You might have heard there's, a, there's one book in, in Jewish tradition, it's called, it's one book. When Christians began to organize the Bible and make what they call their Old Testament, they split it into two books. The one book that we refer to is known as the book of Ezra Nehemiah. Some, you'll, now, our, if, you take, if you open up a Bible, you open up a Tanakh, you'll see the chapters are treating Ezra as one book and Nehemiah as the second book. Who are Ezra and Nehemiah? Ezra and Nehemiah were the leaders of the Jewish people when the second temple was being rebuilt. And to put it in modern language, Ezra was the rabbi, Nehemiah was the president. Is this the same Ezra that we're always talking about? This is the same Ezra we're always talking about. Meaning, they, the uh, Cyrus Koresh gave permission for the Jewish people, for the Yehudim, to go back to Yerushalayim and rebuild their temple. They began to rebuild the temple. Ezra then showed up. He didn't come at the beginning of it. He was a few years late. He, was, he shows up and he helps them because even though they're trying to rebuild the temple, you can imagine people trying to do something and they're, they're ignorant. They're, you know, the, the locals who remained know nothing. They can't read Hebrew. They, they've intermarried. They, you know, they're in a very sorry state, but they're trying to do their best. Ezra, the rabbi, shows up and he's like, oh my goodness, you guys don't know what you're doing over here. You know? And he helps them restructure their community. Ah, so we're getting very good, very good. Nehemiah then shows up because Nehemiah gets a letter. Who's Nehemiah? Nehemiah is a politician. He's a political leader. He is one of the Persian Empire's emperor's personal servants. And he's his cupbearer, as it's called, but which gives you a sense from the Yosef story. Being a cupbearer is not just some cute ceremonial thing now, like we think of nowadays. It meant uh, head of security, meaning he was, you know, head of the FBI, you know, for the Persian Empire. So he is there, advisor to Achashverosh or Achashashta, as he's called, not the Achashverosh of the right, of the Megillah, but they're all called that, uh, Xerxes. And he gets a letter from his fellow Jews, his Jewish brethren, Yerushalayim. And they are telling him, boy, are things awful over here. 
we could really use some help. So Nehemiah goes to the Persian emperor and arranges for a leave of absence, which is granted to him. And the emperor says, good, you have a leave of absence, go take care of your fellow Jews, take care, see, you know, whatever they need. And you have my authorization to do whatever you need. So Nehemiah goes and he takes care of their material plight. You know, make sure they have the funds, that they're, they have military protection. And he's there to help them on, on that end, on the physical, material, military, all of that, all the end. So now the next two lines that we're going to see are fascinating because they sort of are taking us into that world, even for just a few lines, to let us know how difficult things were for them, which if you've ever really been into the nitty gritty of Israeli, modern Israeli history, you'll know that that, for those first, that first decade, meaning from 1948 to really to like 1960 and really into the 60s, they were living in atrocious circumstances, meaning really what we would call like third world living totally. Not nowadays where it's like, okay, Israeli, might, Israeli society, not as wealthy as America, but if you, you know, you've been to Israel, it's a beautiful country and you can get whatever you want, pay a few dollars if you want Jif peanut butter, but everything is fine. You're talking about people who lived there in the 50s and, and early 60s, it was really something else, like very difficult. And so a little bit of a flavor of that over here. One of the things they're describing is how it's not as if they can go back and they can do whatever they want and there's peace. First thing is that there's no peace because what they have to do is, as it says over here, the first pasuk, they're telling Nehemiah, he says, where people are doing the work, meaning they want to build the walls of Yerushalayim. And as they're doing the work, half of them are holding spears, meaning they can't do their work with two hands. <laughs> they're busy trying to put plaster on a wall while they're holding a spear in their hand because somebody might be coming to attack them. So half of them are holding spears and this is going on all day. Or rather, the language is which have become the phrases that are so common to us when we are looking into halacha, right? When people are coming and they're saying, what's my earliest time to David Shachar? Alos HaShachar, which is like the language in our Mishnah. Ashiala Amud HaShachar, the pillar of the dawn, when the dawn comes up. Until when? Until Tzesa Kochavim. So we're wondering, what is the earliest mention of Tzesa Kochavim? It's not Brachos. Tzesa Kochavim is a phrase that's used, that's borrowed from Sefer Nechemia. The Omer, second Pasuk. V'hayu lanu halayla, mishmar v'hayom melacha. As they're continuing to describe to Nehemiah how difficult things are, they said, there is no rest. At night, we have to be guard duty. And during the day is when we can work. Meaning, we can't just all go to sleep at night. It's guard duty at night, work during the day. <laughs> so the Gemara asks, my Omer, why are you quoting the second Pasuk? which is interesting, which shows you how minimalist the Gemara wants to be with its 
words. You told me a Pasuk. The Pasuk says, You wanted to establish that is the end of the day. You did. They're working until until the stars come out. What do you have to tell me the second Pasuk for? So the Gemara says, I'll tell you why. Because of this. Because if you would come and claim, you know the end of the day? This goes to what Tosos was saying before. The end of the day is sunset. Arva Shimsha, Ha'erev Shemesh, Asher Bidvaro Ma'arivaravim. But Ma'arivim, the sun passes away. The sun goes below the horizon. That's the real end of the day in Halacha. The Inhu, but those people, meaning the people in Nehemiah's time, the Mechashche Umekadme. They were really devoted workers. They showed up for work before they had to. And they worked until later. Like, like to use today's metaphor of a, a work day, right? Work is nine to five. You want to tell me that this worker is really devoted? So you'll say he was there from 8.30 to 5.30. That doesn't mean the work day is really from 8.30 to 5.30. Maybe the workday is from nine to five. This guy is extra from, extra devoted to his job, so he stays the extra half hour. So had you only quoted the first pasuk that said they stayed until Tzesach Kochavim, then that would have been an indication maybe that they were just very, and as is clearly the case here, we're talking about devoted Jews, and they're, they're going above and beyond what they would be called upon to do. Toshma v'hayu lanu halayla, Mishmar That's why the, we need the second pasuk to tell us that their workday is the definition of yom and laila, meaning laila means tesakochavim. Daytime starting is alosashacha. Okay, so what you see from here is that the language. If you want to understand the the definition of day and night. We're looking to Nehemiah. Okay? Ezra and Nehemiah are the ones to define for us what day and night are. And this has been a, that blurry time that we are all familiar with nowadays called Bain Hashmashos. Is uh, the confusion will never end. It's inherently confusing. It's not, oh, well, this rabbi says this, this rabbi says that. It has always been a matter of confusion in Halakha from the times of the Gemara. And as we see, even the days of Nehemiah, possibly, you could argue, meaning as far as when exactly the day begins. But it's all defined by this, by the day time or night time of the Jews working in Yerushalayim, trying to rebuild the uh, second temple. So that's where Tzai Sekhochavim is from, and which is, like I said, we saw, it, or we saw the language earlier on, on Ahmed Aleph, but now we're actually seeing where the, where the phrasing comes from. So be that as it may, we're left with we're still left with this question. Kohen, poor man, regular man. What are these times over here? Kohen and regular man are clearly two different times, meaning there's no option of saying that it's the same thing. Kohen and regular man, Bnei Adam, are different. Where does the poor man come into here? So the Gemara is going to try to figure that out. The Gemara wants to jump into this by assuming that poor men 
and regular men are the same thing. So the Gemara says, Viyamata ani vikohin chad shiruhu. Assuming that poor people and regular people are the same thing, then the ani, if you tell me that the ani and the and the kohen are one shiur, chachamim hainu Rebbe Meir, then the chachamim would be saying the same thing as Rebbe Meir, which is impossible. <clears throat> Again, this is hard to do in wording. It would be best to actually draw a picture. You know, you draw a picture. Let's say sunset is uh, 7 p.m. The stars come out at 8 p.m. So if you write it down, stars come out, I'll write Kohen over there. You know, Kohen above 8 p.m. Write the word Kohen, okay? Now, you have regular people. What's regular people? Let's say they don't want to wait that long. So we'll put regular person. I'll write Bnei Adam above 7 p.m. Now I want to know, where do you want to put my uni magnet? <laughs> you know, like, where do you want me to put it on this chart? Can I put it above Kohen? Well, I can put it next to Kohen or on the same chart, same side of the chart as Kohen, as long as if I assume that an uni and a regular person are the same thing, because the Tosefta made it clear. Kohen and regular people, Kohen and re are, is not a regular person. They are two totally separate things. I don't know where to put this Ani guy, meaning on the chart. Is he can't be the same as a he he can't be the same as a Kohen if he's the same as a regular person. So where does he fit on this chart? So the Gemara says, Ela Shmamina, Ani Shur Lachud, the Kohen Shur Lachud. And the Ani is one time, and the Kohen is another time. So the Gemara says, no, no, maybe not. Again, so far we haven't offered any proofs. We're just sort of trying to say, do I put him here? Uh, no. Do I put him here? Uh, no. Meaning, we're just trying to figure it out. Ani, the Kohen, Chad Let's say the Ani and the Kohen are one and the same. And the Ani and the regular person. Uh, are different. Again, we're just trying to, these are words that are trying to, they are the equivalent of me looking at a chart and deciding, do I put it on this side? Uh, no, let me put it on this side. Meaning, what are we trying to do? Again, the Gemara is going to ruin this in a moment, which we'll see next week. The Gemara would prefer, remember, to minimize the machlokas. Now, would the Gemara try to do this by saying, look, there's only one time. Kohanim and Naniim, they're the same thing. They're just different languages for different, different shiurim, for different classes, different people, different audiences. Or says, no, you can't do that. We know we have at least two opinions because this next Tosefta says there's a Kohen and there's Bnei Adam. So the Gemara says, you know what I would really like? Let's keep it to two. Meaning, let there be two opinions. The Ani is simply one of those. <laughs> let the Ani be like the Kohen or be like the regular person. But I would rather have two opinions than have three opinions. Yes. If, if someone looks at his normal life, right. if Kohanim have a structure 
Right. That they're used to. Right. Regular man has his timetable. Only depends on when somebody gives it. There's no set time. How poor is a poor person? I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. The fact that the Gemara assumes at first glance, meaning its first opportunity, that the Ani and the Bnei Adam are the same thing, tells us something, I think I said this last yeah, week, most of the people were, that people were poor. Yeah. <laughs> meaning, you were poor or you were rich. As much as people want to complain about the suffering middle class nowadays. According to Gemara, he's eating bread and salt. Right. They know what he's eating. He's eating bread and salt. Yeah. They're not all not they're not getting handouts. It just means they don't have a lot to eat. It, it does not mean they're they're waiting they're, like they're, a they're, pauper. They're not beggars. They're not beggars. They're just poor. Right. We're eating sooner because according to what they're saying here, because it doesn't take as long to prepare the food. The, the, right. Or there's less to eat. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> you know, like. What's there to eat? You know, how long will it take you to get dinner ready? Uh, there's one course. That's not going to be a problem. <laughs> right. It's not like, well, we need the fish course and the soup course and the main entree and the, right, the aperitif, you know, none of that. Just one course and then that's it. So the, the point here, just to close with, is you take a look. The Gemara tried to say, let there be just one opinion phrased in two different ways for different audiences. No, you can't do that. There's this receptive. This is their two opinions. So Gemara is saying, Please, God, let there be only two opinions, not three. Let's put this on the either in category A or category B, but I would prefer that there be only two opinions. The Gemara is going to say, Haha, sorry, not only are there not only two opinions, but there aren't even only three opinions. And we're going to see the next Brisa, which I think quotes a total of six uh, opinions. But for that, we will wait till next time.